1: Good afternoon and welcome to today's episode of the Black Talk Radio Live Drive at 5. Of course, my name is Scotty Reed. I'm in on this mic from Behind These Enemy Lines. That we call the United States of America where liberty and justice for all is just something that they like to say over and over, you know, to, uh, fool a whole lot of people worldwide into thinking everybody here has equal justice under the law. But we know better than that. So uh, again, I'm coming to you on these airways. It's January 20th, 2015, five o'clock PM Eastern time which you know that means the live drive at five. Uh, today, we will be speaking with uh, team author Randall Barnes. He wrote an article that I thought was, you know, just excellent and asking uh, questions about celebrities. And if being pro-black is a fad with these celebrities speaking out, and then, you know, even when they do speak out, sometimes what comes out of their mouth might have been better kept unsaid. You know, so we will examine that whole conversation. Um, there are some a uh, relevant quote from Malcolm X that comes to mind that I'll share. Uh, when that's time, when the time arises for that. Um, but yeah, I link to the article so if you get a chance, you can uh check it out. It's being pro-black a fad or long-awaited awakening among celebrities. Again, in the article, he examines celebrities' reactions to the ongoing genocide against black people highlighted during this current period of social unrest in relation to the high-profile cases of Michael Brown and Eric Gardner. Now, if I have some time, I will also try to uh, get into a couple of today's news headlines that caught my eye. i uh, got a Unfortunately, a case of proxy racism to bring some news about, uh, a jury has reached a verdict in the case of a former officer accused of shooting a man. I want to get into that. Again, this is another example of proxy racism where non-white people act as tools of the system of racism and white supremacy. Uh Michael Moore. Now, I saw this uh on Twitter the other day because I had also been tweeting uh, some of my thoughts about American Sniper, you know, the film that glorifies the racist monster known as Chris Kyle. Um, you know, he's he's worm food now, uh, but they are glorifying him lots of people was on twitter i was just seeing it in my news feed on twitter lots of people talking about what a great movie it was and you know uh god bless america and death to the muslims and i mean all kind of racist garbage and uh religious bigotry uh, in relation to that propaganda film and so i'll talk about that michael moore had called um Snipers, because uh, he was a sniper. Michael Moore called Chris Kyle a coward, and I had actually said the same thing way before Michael Moore, well, a few days before him, that they're cowards. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you shooting down people from a distance, not even looking them in the eye. You're not on a battlefield. That's not a traditional battlefield and whatnot. And so, you know, he people trying to act like he was some kind of warrior. Look, man. I could train a 12 year old to get up in a a, a, a hidden position and just kill people as they walk by. You know, there's nothing uh, to be glorified when it comes to snipers. Is it a tool of warfare? Most certainly it is, but this man is not a hero. And uh, Michael Moore uh, got a lot of pushback. If you would, will a lot of hate thrown his way because he said the same thing. that, that snipers are cowards. Also, this is some good news uh, in terms of of our uh, enslaved prisoners on the prison plantations. But the Supreme Court has unanimously upheld prisoners, religious liberty. And that was uh, something that was sent to me by this organization uh, to my email. And I linked to the press statement from them. So if I have time, we will get to that now tonight. Tuesday, Tuesday night, the president of the United States is going to deliver uh, a state of the union address. Now, I usually don't pay attention to those uh, addresses. Sometimes I guess I should. uh, But sometimes I'm like, it's kind of wasting my time. I'll just wait for other people to write about it. Or I will catch the highlights where somebody has taken the highlights out of a speech and condensed it into a video. That's what I'll wait on. Um, but um, I may have cause to tune in tonight. I may not have cause to tune in tonight. But according to some people on social media, they're saying that he might focus on the drug war and rolling back the drug war. I don't know. I went to the whitehouse.gov website and I'm not seeing anything, but there is this video of the president and he's talking about giving, um, I guess a preview of what he might talk about. So let's give that a listen right quick and, uh, see if it'll be, uh, something, uh, worth our time to tune in tonight.
0: Hi, everybody. Every day, we get thousands of letters and emails to the White House from Americans across the country. And every night, I read 10 of them. They tell me about their hopes and their worries, their hardships and successes. They're the Americans I'm working for every day. And this year, several of these letter writers will join me at the Capitol when I deliver my annual State of the Union address on Tuesday night. Carolyn Reed wrote to me from Colorado to tell me she was able to expand her business thanks to a loan from the Small Business Administration. Today, she and her husband own seven silver mine sub-shops, and last year they raised wages for all their hourly employees. Victor Fugate from Butler, Missouri, wrote to tell me that he was unemployed for a while a few years ago, but today he's earned his degree and found a full-time job. Victor said that he and his wife were able to afford their student loans because our country offered millions of Americans the chance to cap their monthly payments as a percentage of their income. And because of the Affordable Care Act, they now have the security and peace of mind of affordable health insurance. While serving in Afghanistan, Jason Gibson was gravely wounded. He lost both his legs. When I first met him in the hospital, he was just beginning his long, difficult road to recovery. But last year, Sergeant Gibson wrote to tell me that with the help of our extraordinary doctors and nurses, He's making extraordinary progress. He just moved into a new home, and he and his wife just had a baby girl. Now, Stories like these give us reason to start the new year with confidence. 2014 was the fastest year for job growth since the 1990s. Unemployment fell faster than any year since 1984. Our combat mission in Afghanistan has come to a responsible end, and more of our heroes are coming home. America's resurgence is real. Our job now is to make sure that every American feels that they're a part of our country's comeback. That's what I'll focus on in my State of the Union, how to build on our momentum with rising wages, growing incomes, and a stronger middle class. And I'll call on this new Congress to join me in putting aside the political games and finding areas where we agree so we can deliver for the American people. The last six years have demanded resilience and sacrifice from all of us all of us have a right to be proud of the progress America's made. And I hope you'll tune in on Tuesday to hear about the steps we can take to build on this progress and to seize this moment together. Thanks everybody. And have a great weekend.
1: Okay. So um, that was some video or audio uh, to the video that was published on whitehouse.gov. And he's talking about, you know, what he's going to discuss tonight on these in the state of the union now i don't know maybe some of the people on social media are privy to some information i haven't come across but i didn't hear anything in there that indicated that he would focus on the war on drugs which is one of the number one ways, I call it one, the modern black codes, you know, laws that were passed to target black people after, you know, they legalized prison slavery through the 13th amendment. So it doesn't look like, you know, according to him, he didn't give any indication that he was going to talk about, you know, trying to uh at least slow down uh legalized slavery in the United States by way of you know, rolling back the drug war, I also did not hear anything about any any of the uh issues that many other people are in the streets protesting against some of them been out there over a year again, like Sister Tawanda Jones up there in Baltimore when her brother was murdered. you know uh Tyrone West was murdered by law enforcement officers. she'd been out there over a year uh people supporting her. Um, you know, taking up the cause against the, uh, Baltimore police department. Um, you know, others have been marching because of the grand jury system is allowing all of these killer cops to just, you know, get back on the block instead of putting them in a cell block as, uh, Tawanda Jones would say. So he didn't give any indication of that. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he won't, but I just know, you know, hundreds of thousands of people for at least the past four or five months have been out there in the streets uh raising the issue about all of this police terrorism going on. And so, you know, he did not indicate in that preview that, you know, he's heard your concerns. So I don't know. I could be wrong. He may, you know, talk about that tonight. So, um yeah. Anyway. Let's go ahead and welcome on Mr. Randall Barnes, uh, a team author, uh, who's joining us today to talk about is being pro-black a fad or long-awaited awakening among black celebrities. Uh, Mr. Randall, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you, brother Scott, for having
1: me on. Oh, you're most you're most welcome. Um. If you will, will you give people, you know, I mentioned that you are an author, but I know, you know, you're much more than that. But can you give people a little insight into yourself as a human being, as a person, um, as to, you know, some of the things you're involved with?
2: Well, I'm 18 years old, and I'm signed under the um, independent publishing company, D.C. Booking Publications, which is a black-owned publishing company. And my baby novel is The Diary of Aaliyah Anderson. I consider myself a social writer um, in, in the leer of James Baldwin and Ralph Ellison because I write about what's around me, and my whole entire goal is to show the world that black teenagers are somebody because in the media we're castigated, we're, we're made like we're animals. And when situations such as Michael Brown, Michael Brown the Trayvon Barton come about, we, we have this image across Fox News, that we're hoodlums and that we're violent. So I'm trying to change that narrative while also getting gained knowledge to my peers. Um, showing that we are somebody and that we can be somebody without having to get jobs from white institutions and also trying to raise our awareness and self-esteem.
1: Oh, that's most definitely a worthy, uh, cause and activity that you are engaged in. Now, um, for those who haven't had an opportunity, Mr. Barnes, to read your article, is being pro-black a fad or long-awaited awakening among celebrities, which was published by Urban Intellectuals? Can you give them a, a synopsis of uh, what you were writing about?
2: Absolutely. So the article is, it was inspired by Azelia Banks, who was a mainstream rapper that has a majority white audience. She appears to a majority white rap audience, and she's gone on a, I would say, a pro-black tip. and she's been on Twitter and on her social media pages, which she has a 17 million social media reach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. She's been talking about a lot of topics that many would call pro-black, such as, you know, um, reparations and, and, and quote-unquote being a coon and certain things that rappers are saying in, in light of Ferguson. And um, there have been a lot of discussions about her motives and her intentions. A lot of people say that she shouldn't be speaking on these issues because she has, has a noted history of dating a white person. And also, a, a lot of folks say that she is trying to get over using our agenda, using Ferguson, using the Eric Garner case, using the reparations argument to build her platform. And I thought it was absurd because I know personally that if you talk about these things, um, you're castigated, and especially in a, in a business sense, especially as a rapper. Like, you're not going anywhere, especially in, in in the business sector. So I found it hard, and also I read what Kendrick Lamar said, and Kendrick Lamar basically said that the reason why we're getting killed and we're getting harassed by these police officers every day in all these different cities is because of our mindset and because we don't respect ourselves. So I'm responsible. If I'm walking down the street, I'm responsible for a police officer's bigoted perception of me. That made no sense, and the fact that Kendrick Lamar was billed, was built as the next big rap star, and our, our generation's coupon was just insane to me. And Idiot Zelia went in on him and even got into arguments with, with Lupe Fiasco, and i not Kid credit but Lupe Fiasco, and, and they had that little back and forth, and a lot of folks felt like that was unnecessary. But I didn't want to focus on the fact that she got into it with a rapper because of Lupe Fiasco. I wanted to focus on the fact that I didn't understand why folks are mad because we want our celebrities to be vocal. We want our celebrities to, ha- to have a voice and talk about issues that affect us. But when they do, we don't support them, and we swear there's an agenda behind it that they're trying to get over. And all, of, all I was trying to get over in the article is that I don't care what her agenda is as, as, as far as if she, try, if she feels in some world that she's good in her platform by speaking on black issues. All I know is that I went down her Twitter timeline, and her fans are being enlightened. And she's making my job easier as an author and, and as a, a millennial that really cares uh, about the, the enlightenment of my peers. And she, that she's talking about reparations and self-love and, and being black in America and talking about the education system and how we're so messed up because of that. It, it, it's making my job easier, so I have no problem with her. And I sort of question the, the motives of, of folks that are, that are tearing
3: her down.
1: Right. I mean, you said a lot there. Um, that raised a, a couple of questions, but, um, I certainly agree with you. You know, uh, everybody has a right to voice their opinion, including Azalea Banks. It doesn't matter who she's been dating, uh, what her past is. I don't care if she was, you know, a convicted felon. Her, her, everybody, um, has a right to voice their opinion. Now that doesn't mean we're always going to agree. Uh, with their opinion but she certainly has a right to speak on these issues and i agree wholeheartedly with what you said about people who are criticizing her saying oh she's just trying to raise her public image on the backs of these protests on the backs of all these people in the street and because like you said that doesn't make sense because usually the reverse is true. That as soon as you become, you start speaking out strongly about, uh, black issues, uh, issues that have to do with your own ethnic group, religious group, uh, racial group, that the system which is dominated by white men and in the rap industry, you know, white women as well. So white people are dominating that, that industry. And we know that industry a long time ago uh, decided to get away from any kind of hip hop, any kind of music that was going to be uh, pro-black or um, um, deals with black empowerment. So it makes no absolutely no sense. That she her um uh, her thoughts that she's expressing in the public sphere is a selfish one or or she has a selfish reason to do this because this again could cause her to possibly lose any kind of endorsement she might have out there it might you know cause the whoever uh whatever label she signed with to like you know possibly push her projects to the to the back of the bus so to speak so i i agree i agree with you there that it, it just doesn't make logical sense that that would be her motivation would you agree i totally agree
2: because one thing about it is that she is in a sector the business sector where it's, it's, it's mainly white-dominated, where in all the positions of power you have old white, exec, white executives that, that are, are using her to make money and to, to appeal to a, a younger audience. So it, it honestly makes no sense. And the, these folks that are really criticizing her, I honestly, like I say, I'll say again, I honestly question the most because they're, they're saying this about everybody, every rapper that's speaking out. They were saying the same thing about Jake Cole, and Jake Cole has really been vocal about situations such as the Michael Brown case and the Eric Garner um, case. He, he's been vocal. About, he's always been vocal about that. He's been marching. He's been making songs about it. He's been bringing awareness about it. I wonder, and to be honest, I wonder what the agenda is of the folks that are trying to tear these um, artists down, because they have a right to artistic expression. Just like they have the right to make club songs and, and, and songs that are degrading to women or just are pointless in its origin, they have the right to talk about issues that that, that affect us. As a matter of fact, we should embrace them. So it, it honestly, it, it's confusing to me and that's what I try to get over because it, it makes honestly no sense because I know that, that Azalea Bank won't get anywhere as, as, as far as using this as a platform builder because she will probably be blackballed especially the things she's saying because another thing she's doing she's taking on the topic of religion and i know that that's controversial so she's not getting the game from that so to be honest i, I personally think her heart is in the right place but, but i honestly don't care because she's enlightening me.
1: Mm-hmm. um you know nikki minaj made some comments that i actually uh talked about on a previous program from an interview that she gave to Rolling Stone. And she was basically asked, you know, a similar question about why, you know, more black celebrities are not speaking out, you know, uh, during this current period of unrest in our streets. And and Nikki gave some, what I thought was some thoughtful comments, and it kind of surprised me. And I was like, well, maybe this sister is a deeper thinker, then how, you know, her image is, is, portraying her again. I don't like her music. I don't support her music. I think that it does a lot of harm to young minds, but in the context of what she said, you know, she was, uh, I felt like, you know, spot on in that, you know, she said, look at, look at what happened to, um, what's his name? That, that said George Bush doesn't like black people. Kanye West. Kanye West. Yeah, she said, "Well, look at how Kanye West was attacked when he said that, and so you know he he went through all of this, and, and you know people targeting him and telling him he just need to shut up and and this and that, and so she said that you know that tells that sends a message to other artists that you know they shouldn't venture into these issues, and she said that it's complete, and I'm paraphrasing what she said, but she said. It's awful. It's awful that you are demonized when you speak up about black people being shot down in the streets like animals, you know, like you can't, you're being made to feel ashamed to stand up for your own race. Did you happen to catch uh, her commentary in that, in that uh, Rolling Stone piece?
2: I did. And I had mixed feelings about that because of the fact, and I know I was young back then. I was real young back then, but I have a vivid memory of that. No, this was, context,
1: this was recently. This
2: was mean, recently. I mean, as far as the Kanye West... She, oh, she was talking oh, Kanye about, she West. Kanye West was demonized. Okay. I was I was young back then. I was back in 06. But the, like what I remember, Kanye West's star shined a little bit brighter after he did that. He sort of got love for that in, in, in every aspect. Of course, he had the racists that, that were like, oh, you can shut up. But in the black community, they really saluted him, and they re- and we really were rocking with him. So I don't... Like that example, I'm not really understanding that example. But with Nicki Minaj, and I, I don't have a problem with Nicki Minaj per se, because I, I understand that she's an entertainer. She is an entertainer, and I, I don't really expect much from her. But back last February, she was talking on um, crazy about um, Malcolm X's daughter, and she that at her entire little um, track, which was she um, had Malcolm X on the cover, and, and it, right. it was a radical track towards, towards really towards black men. So she felt comfortable. Um, Paint, like having Malcolm X on a, 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 a cover of a song that inherently w- was was violent towards men, towards black men.
1: Yeah, promoting and, black yeah. on black crime, so to speak.
2: It, it, exactly, but but she's afraid to talk about blatant injustice. And the thing about it is that I understand that 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 um, Banks like that she she's talking about these issues, and there is a chance that she may get blackballed or her, her album may get pushed back. Or she may get repercussions. But you have J. Cole. J. Cole sold more than her. J. Cole was, had the number one album, and actually, it was surprisingly, surprised a lot of people. Sold more than, than her than her Pink Friday album. And J. Cole had no radio play, no singles. He performed um, the D3 song on, on David Letterman's show. So what Nicki Minaj is saying, especially when her star shines as bright as it does, and, and a, rap, a rapper and artist for her, Matt, too, she can talk about, really talk about anything she wants to within reason. Uh, so I'm not understanding the rationale behind her saying that. What with, with Azilia Banks is a little bit different because Azilia Banks is nowhere near the level of Nicki Minaj.
1: Well, maybe, maybe she. And and of course we don't know. I would love to ask her the question. I actually tweeted at her, but I didn't get a response, which I didn't really expect a response. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I do get responses from these people. Um, maybe she was speaking about the industry itself and maybe not the fans, you know, cause certainly the evidence would suggest to us that pr- the promotion of misogyny, the promotion of the degre- uh, degradation of black women, of black men, the demonization of black men, the promotion of self-destructive behaviors, whether that's drug dealing, drug using, uh, I- any other thing that may wind you up in, uh, in prison, um, and black on black crime as they like to harp on, especially the races. So I would expect all of that to be supported by the industry. Cause that's, you know, the majority of the stuff that these artists are putting out. So maybe Nikki was, you know, in a veiled way talking about the industry, you know, being made to feel ashamed to care about your own people. So that obviously. You know, well, maybe not so obvious, but if I think about that, she could have been talking to, to black people or her black fans. She had to be talking about white people. Think that's possible? Like,
2: oh, go ahead, go ahead.
1: No, I was just I was tossing it to you. What are your thoughts?
2: I feel like she was um, confirming a permeated fear among all artists. But one thing, another thing about Nicki Minaj is is that she recently. She had a song called Only that's been on the radio heavy. And she had a lyric video for the song Only, and it was a Nazi-inspired video, and there were, it was there was a lot of outrage over that, like over the whole entire Hitler Germany thing, and that was the thing with the video. And immediately she apologized. Immediately, um, her, I think it was the director of that video started pointing blame at, at the label and pointing blame at Nicki Minaj for... for Partaking in in the in the creation of that little video, um. So I think Nicki Minaj chooses chooses her battles because like she, she, like Nicki Minaj at this point she she's big enough to say okay if I want to talk about Michael Brown or um Eric Garner or any of these police injustices around America she, she could talk about it if she to. she she I'm not saying she is as big as Nicki Minaj but, I'm, not, I'm sorry not to big not Nicki Minaj but as big as Beyonce. But she has, um, a large brand, and I, and I doubt that those, the label can stifle her now, cause right. her, her brand is is, 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 known, and she has many fans. A lot of fans I see around me in high school, they love Nicki Minaj, they look up to her. And I feel as if she, if she spoke about that, like how a- a- Azalea Banks is doing, there, uh, there's a lot of folks that would listen. So, I, I mean, well, she, I feel like she's talking about a fear.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and she, she's confirming a fear, and that's just not right. Either
1: i certainly um i i certainly agree with you uh on that and what and that's a question that many people have asked at what point is your bank account big enough you know at at what point you know do you say all right i've gone uh, to the top of the mountain um i've done what they've wanted me to do uh now that I have you know a way to support myself for the rest of my life, you because know, i did, I hope she's got a big bank account and been saving her money, but you know oh, no. now I'm going to do me and I'm going to you know speak out for my people so yeah that that that's valid that's a valid uh uh question at what point is enough enough you know at what point do you then? uh declare your independence from the people who have been controlling you all this time. Yeah, most certainly. Um I want to take a short station identification break and um when we come back we will continue on with this conversation with uh Mr. Randall Barnes. If you have a question or a comment uh for either of us, uh please give us a call at 530-881-1400 the access code is 549032 pound and then hit star 6 and then wait for her to prompt you and hit the number 1 and then that will buzz me the host so y'all stay tuned we will be uh, right back after these short messages on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com and welcome back you're listening to black talk radio this is the live drive at five i'm your host scotty reed and we're joined uh on the studio line by mr randall barnes and we're discussing um you know issues surrounding his article is being pro-black a fad or long-awaited awakening among celebrities now um you start off in your article with a quote uh, from Azalea Banks. And I was actually just writing about this on Facebook the other day. Uh, would you share that quote? If you don't have it in front of you, I can read it for you. But you start the article off with this quote.
2: Well, the quote said, um, and, and it was a tweet that she made that I saw, um, becoming an adult and doing my own research has really opened up my effing eyes and I get upset to know that. I um, mean, basically what she was saying is, is that, you know, in in the school system, they don't really, because she's young, she's like around my age, around, I think she's around age, 21 or 22. She grew up in um, the school system in, in the 2000s, and I know in the school system, we really don't hear much about black history, especially anything that's empowering. If, if it's not Martin Luther King, or even some black um we're talking about slavery. We're not, we're not talking about anything that really makes us proud, proud to be black. So all we're, all we're forfeited is that we were servants and that we marched in school, and that's it, and that's around the nation. So basically what Azelia what, what Banks was saying is that she became an adult and she had the motivation to do on research and opened her eyes, and she got mad. So I started off the article with that because... It, it, it sort of showed me that maybe she's not trying to, to build her platform. Maybe she really is in rage and maybe that's the emotion we, we, we're we feeling behind her tweet because she has a lot of emotion, and she's been going at these rappers like um, Lupe Fiasco and Kenneth Lamar and and Iggy Azalea and, 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 and T.I., she, she's going in on T.I. Like, maybe that's the aggression that's been doing her. Um. So, so the, I start off the article with that to to, to show that maybe that is what is, is, is what is what her real motivation is, and then I I, I started in the consulate article.
1: I was just posting about this the other day. The importance of doing your own research because you know even I don't care how many degrees, how many doctorates, what titles a person has that doesn't mean that they are sharing truth with you. That doesn't even, that does not mean that they're putting out factual information. 90% of what they say may be factual, but it may be 10% that is based on lies that has been taught to them. So I'm not even going to say that they are being purposely uh, deceptive with their words and, and what they're relaying to other people, but that perhaps that is just a part that they have not done research in. And therefore, they're just repeating what people have told them, uh, repeating what they learned from, uh, you know, these white supremacist schools and universities, which I like to call indoctrination uh, centers. And, and I'm not saying I'm not I don't want people to interpret my comments to say that I'm anti-education. No, I, what I'm saying is I'm pro self-education. I tell people don't even take what I tell you as a statement of fact, but follow it up and do your own research. Heck, you might you might see it a different way than I see it, and then I'm learning from you, you know, and so may I, I agree with you that that does it is a possibility that this is what's fueling her passion. It's because she has been doing research. And found out how much this society has been lying to her. So she, like you said, she's still she's still a young adult. She's still growing. She's still learning. Okay, so she's still maturing. And so what she's done in the past, you know, doesn't matter. Actually, I shared the Malcolm X quote uh the other day that says, you know, not to I'm a paraphrase what he said, but he was like. Don't be looking down on people cause they don't know as much as you because they don't think as fast as you because at one time you didn't know as much as you know now. Okay. And, and so I, I agree with you. And, and I thought, you know, it was cool for you to start out your article, uh, with that quote from her, becoming an adult and doing my own research has really opened up my effing eyes. And I get upset to know that cause I'm sure like all of us, we're taught in school you mentioned, you know, the um, the period of so-called enslavement in this country that you know so called ended uh but if a person reads the 13th amendment of the United States Constitution and where it says that slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished except for punishment of crime where a person's been convicted well then, that should then lead to you opening up your eyes to see why the United States has the world's largest prison population on the planet, or uh, why it is filled predominantly, disproportionately with black people. Does that make sense to you?
2: It makes perfect sense, and I and to be honest, like one thing about me as an uh, author, I write about what I know. And I've and I've done a lot of research on the educational system in and in the book, The Diary of Leah and it's my book, you'll see that I did a lot of research on that. And one thing that, that I've seen and that and I've talked to fellow teachers about this is I feel as if the teachers facilitate what's what's being taught, especially black teachers. If you like, if you have, you know, a a, a white teacher that, that really doesn't really care about black history, she just cares about teaching the standard. You know, getting a high uh, passing rate on the on the, the standardized tests. She's not going to teach about uh, Marcus Garvey or the Haitian Revolution. She's not going to teach about that. But like, I, I've had, I've actually had some of the teachers that um that that, that are older and they understand the, the the importance of education and the importance of instilling some sort of knowledge into us, despite what the standards say. Because a lot of times, well, a lot of these teachers. Um, the staff to work around the standards, and if they don't hit these core standards, we'll wind up failing, and and, and then we'll want then folks will wonder why parents will be, uh, get, be outraged, administrators will be outraged, and then folks will say, "Well, we were talking about Mark Garvey, when I mean, we should have been talking about this this that. I, I mean, but but I, I've had a, I've had a lot of teachers that uh, that understand the fact that we need that, and I, I, I had one teacher I'm, I'm gonna shout him out. His name is Mister. Robinson. And I know that he is one teacher that really impacted my life because he, he told me that I, I need to I need to dig deeper, and he always supported me because I've always been sort of I uh, suppose would call me a militant, but I'm mean, in my thought process, and I always come to him like when I was learning, especially last year, I come in and I saw Marcus Garvey on the stand. I said, "Hey, Mr. Robinson, we're gonna um, learn about Marcus Garvey today." but we never got to it because we were bound to the standards.
1: The curriculum,
2: so a, yeah. The, the curriculum and the standards. So I, I honestly feel like outside, outside of that, the teachers facilitate that, and they should sort of be shepherds and lead students and, and children, especially teenagers, to that knowledge. But we have a lack of that, and, there, and we have absolutely among teachers, as you will see from a teacher named Miss Connor in the diary of Leah Anderson when you read it. There's there's a there's a lot of apathy, and that's and that's one of the major problems in the education system, and that's why you would get Angelia thing, who's who's become twenty one and she's done her own research, and now she's outraged and now she's going on curse field and getting into it with her rapper peers because of this aggression and, and anger because of the fact she feels used and brainwashed. That's why, I feel like.
1: I I, I wanted to um. Talk about because you touch on the article in, in the article, but you also touched upon it earlier in your comments about what Kendrick Lamar had to say. say. So, can you tell people that may have missed that what did Ken, what did Kendrick Lamar, who has been hailed as a, from what I've read, like you know the next up and coming conscious rapper, uh, what 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 angered her so much about him? Or things he said.
2: Well, Ken Lamar said um, in a Billboard magazine interview, he said, "I wish somebody would look in our neighborhood, knowing that it's all of this situation mentally, where it's f her. What happened to Michael Brown should never happen. Should never, should have never happened. But when we don't have respect for ourselves, how do we expect them to respect us? It starts from within. Don't start with just a rally. Don't start from looting. It starts from within." And one, I know one thing I had a problem with is the fact that it seemed like he was castigating black people from having the tech market, which to a certain degree, I, I, I sort of would understand where you're coming from if it was a different situation. But now we're talking about a jihad against us, a war against us, where where you, you have innocent people, women, that, that, that are walking down the street or that are having these different encounters with police officers that are getting killed, that are getting hurt, you got children, you know. He had some near wife up in Cleveland. He got he got shot with an education and that was a child. He looked like a child. So King Lamar like I just don't understand that because you, you're talking about we have respect for ourselves. That makes no sense. This man is from Compton and I, I know he's had he's had to deal with that. So the fact that he said that sorta of shows me that he, he's trying to sort of appeal maybe to a, a wider a wider fan base, I would believe. Because and, and I feel like if in 2015, and J. Cole it was, it was a perfect example of this, there is no need for that. And Kendrick Lamar is, is a, a big star. He, was, he had all this media attention. He was held as this fantastic rap artist, our next big rap artist. And we snub guys like J. Cole, like um, my favorite rapper, Big Chris, that actually are talking about things. And Kendrick Lamar was talking about things on his first album, like um, Ronald Reagan era, and, and talking about Compton. But I, I just, I, I couldn't rock with, with that, with, with this comment, because he made it seem like it was our fault. And get, being hunted down and, and, and the bigoted perception of somebody else is, is not our problem, it's not our fault, and Azalea Banks had every right to destroy him. She had every right, and, and all the folks that outrage had every right to be outraged. We should, we should be going at him more than Azalea Banks, I believe.
1: Well, I, I would say, let, let me um say this. I would say going after his words in the argument that he put out there as opposed to going after him personally. I know you didn't mean it that way, but, you know, just for for clarity, we shouldn't be going after each other, sure. so to speak. But rather going after what we're putting out there in the universe, if it is not you know, something that is going to help us as a people, if it's helping the enemy, uh, so to speak. So, so you, you said, now you mentioned that you think, well, maybe he is the one, the reason he may have said those things is because he's trying to appeal to a wider or whiter audience. Do you think there could be any other reasons why because you know maybe he's watching the media coverage of this and i've noticed you know in watching the media coverage we've even had black so-called journalists and correspondents who have been saying some of those same things could he have picked that up subconsciously and is just possibly regurgitating what he heard or or what are your thoughts on that
2: I feel as if that's a possibility, but it, it, it's deviated so far from from where he was because he came up being a, a political rapper, so to a to a certain degree, and and talking about things that that, that affected him as far as the, the community of Compton and, and how he grew up in in, in an impoverished, crime stricken neighborhood, and how he um, lifted up from that as, as far as I like to you know, um, lifted up from the circumstances. Like, just to hear him say that, it just doesn't go in line with his previous work. And that's what makes me sort of believe that this was mm-hmm. orchestrated, you know, to, to sort of get, get, uh, appeal to a wider audience. That, that's what makes me, I, I don't know it, it for sure, but that's what makes me think that.
1: You, you You believe the evidence, given his past, suggests that because this totally came out of left field from what he said before and, and things he has produced as an artist in the past. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to share this quote and again, I'm not saying that this is why he said what he said, but just to make the wider point that media, uh, like Malcolm X said, is is very powerful. The most powerful entity on the face of the planet can make the uh, innocent guilty and the guilty innocent and so we've certainly seen that play out in the media. And Malcolm X said that if you if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. And, and so many of I find many of his quotes as a student of his work, I find many of his quotes to be relevant. You know, and timeless, uh, still apply today. So, uh, so, you know, do you think that your generation is aware of, you know, that the media, uh, plants thoughts and ideals in their minds to try to shape their opinion on these issues?
2: A lot of us are very aware because we see what Fox News does every day. Mm-hmm. It's like, if, if, if anything, also, wear what Fox News does, and we even talk about it. Like they, they may not because they, they may not be into it how I'm into it because I'm a media guy, and and I, and I look at what Sean Hannity does, I look at what Bill O'Reilly does, and and what Rush Limbaugh does, and and Glenn Beck, Beck does on the radio level. But we we know that that the media is really manipulative, and and that they they, they play a hand in in determining the images and shifting images. We know that, but the thing about it is that a lot of us feel helpless. We feel like we feel as if we can't do anything. And I know personally I decided I was going to do, do, do something, but we, we feel virtually helpless and we feel like we're just, we're just like drowning and there's nobody to save us because a lot of people feel, a, a lot of the, the people in my generation feel like the, the adults are turned their back from us and that, that they are enemies as well. So to so a certain degree we would of support our elders. Because we feel as if they turned their backs on us, and 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 we and because of the fact we feel helpless, we we take that out in aggression, and we become divisive among, amongst ourselves. So we're we're very aware that this is happening, but we don't know what to do. And I know one thing that I want to do is is use a medium such as writing to to show my generation that that this is going on, and this is what we need to
1: do. Um, hey, and I, and I just want you to know that, um, and I know you, you got some people that's publishing your articles, uh, urban intellectual, uh, published this article that we've been discussing. But if there's anything that you would like for us to publish, uh, through the black talk media project, through our platform, black talk radio network, then don't hesitate to send it over. Um, you know, oh, wow. yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. So, um, you know, the other day, Now, I want to talk about, expand, you know, the conversation outside of just rap artists and talk about these celebrities, period. And so Oprah Winfrey has some comments that I had talked about on this program. And unfortunately, I heard her comments basically regurgitated by um, another black person who was on MSNBC, and he's probably around my age or a little older and where she made derogatory comments about the protesters in the street saying like they don't know what they're doing, that they don't have an agenda and that they need to come watch Selma so they can see how it's done. Did you, did you hear those comments? And, and if this is your first time hearing them, what do you feel about that as a young person?
2: Oh, well, I, I heard her comments and to be honest, I slightly agree with her
1: to
3: okay. the
2: sense that in Ferguson, there's not a lot of leadership. Like they, they're just like they, like they don't know what they're trying to do because they, well, one thing I know is that they're getting caught up in vanity. They want to be seen. So when they get that camera time, when they you know when, when they're um, protesting and they finally get that camera time, they're doing nothing with it because like protesting and marching is is fantastic. We have to because we don't think strategically. Protesting and marching. It is it, it, great, but where is the, the where's the, where is the, the flexing of our economic muscle? Like, because to be honest, the only way we can attack racism and white supremacy is by hitting these, these institutions in their pockets. So marching and and protesting is all good, and I heard some was a fantastic movie, and I do want to watch it. But like, I think Open Ripper was right in that regard, but like. Looking at Selma, from what I understand, Selma only told a part of the story. One thing a lot of people um, miss, especially in my generation with with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., is that he was strategic as as far as what he did. He did not just march. He did not just give the "I Have a Dream" speech. And, and I, I know you know this, and, and I know a lot of folks that listen know this. But as far as my generation, um, they don't understand that those sit-ins, that those were, that, that was economic in in, in, in itself. Because, because they were taking up seats and, 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 and they couldn't get money from, from folks coming in evening. and then the Montgomery Bush Bus Boycott was economic and they got them to fold because in, in Montgomery it was it was mainly black people that were riding the buses so Dr. King's um, thought process inherently was economic but it gets overshadowed you look at movies like Selma and also what's was taught
1: in schools mm-hmm. um several things. Uh first thing I want to point out, I want to share something that was posted on Facebook by somebody from my generation in relationship uh to those comments uh because I had posted about the person who was about my age who was on on uh MSNBC saying those things. Uh he said that they're not sophisticated, that they don't have um leadership or um, it was a culmination. Selma was a culmination. And so a person, um, who saw what I posted said that, well, when Dr. King started the, uh, when he was called in to do the Montgomery boycott, uh, bus boycott, when he first went there to address the situation, he didn't know what he was going to do. Um, he through, you know, all throughout the fifties and I'm just talking about him. Of course, you know, people know it wasn't just about him, um, although the media wants to make you seem like it was all about him. He had a lot of support within that movement, and then there were parallel movements, the Black Power Movement or Black Liberation Movement, uh, which was, um, I guess, personified by Malcolm X, but movements are not built in a day. They're not built in a month. They're not built in three months. They're not even built in six months. Dr. King started his work in the night in the 1950s, okay, and so it, it took se- I mean several years went by before they started, you know, marching in Selma, and and so a lot of things we need to learn from history as well. People need to read about COINTELPRO. Pro. Uh, co- the counterintelligence program of the FBI, which uh, was um, started by J. Edgar Hoover with the stated purpose of not only targeting to demonize, to uh, eliminate, whether that be by assassination uh, physically or assassinating their character, you know, um, and to prevent black leadership from arising. And so a lot of people need we need to look back and learn from that. And maybe it's a good thing that they can't figure out that, hey, it's more than one person out here leading this. Uh, Who are the leaders? How can we target them? How can we demonize them? Perhaps we can arrest them on some trumped up charges and frame them. So, you know, it's like it's like, you know, the Hydra. It has several heads. I'm talking about the mythical, you know, dragon with several heads. And so, you know, when there's only one head, then all, hey, you only got to cut off that one head and the body shall die. But when you have several heads, well, it's, it's actually kind of hard to, uh, kill a movement in that way. And so I, I just thought, and then if our youth that are out there in the street, which I have actually had an opportunity to, Interview several of them and I've listened to them be interviewed not on mainstream media, but interviewed on alternative media like a black talk radio network. Uh, one of our partners, uh, time for awakening radio, you know, hosted a panel with several of these young people. But if they are lacking in any kind of organizational skills or sophistication or whatever they want to want to call it, then that's on the generation that came before them. They did not train them, did not prepare them, because let's make no mistake, police brutality and murder as an issue was going on. Well, you will see in the movie Selma, which I did have an opportunity to watch, you'll see where a young black man was gunned down and murdered by a cop. You will see where these cops were uh, uh, brutalizing and beating these black people. So it's not like this is a new issue that just popped up overnight. So those people of my generation and those people who are older than me before me, you, you know, don't be, I feel like it's wrong to point your finger at these young people in the street because really we have failed them. They should not have to be out there in the streets right now. If we had done our job in uh, um, finishing the battles that was started. But yes, COINTELPRO, the full weight of the United States government, uh, the FBI targeted it, many of the leaders of the Black Panther Party and, and other organizations, even white leftist groups they targeted that was against the Vietnam War. And, and so when they destroyed them and they imprisoned them, which our young people are not even being taught about these political prisoners that's still alive, who were fighting these issues back then. Okay, that's on us. That's on my generation. That's on my parents' generation, and my grandparents are dead. So, but I mean, am I making any sense to you, uh, um, uh, Randall, Mister Randall? You're making perfect sense, and I, 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 so I have, I have no dispute with, with,
2: what, with what you said because one thing that I see is that a lot of blame gets heaved down on, on this generation. But we need to realize is that the children are a reflection of what the parents were.
1: That's or right. What the
2: audience were. So you can't you can't say too, too much about us. I mean, because we we, are, we need to get together to, to a certain degree. But we, had, we we really had no guidance. A lot of us had no, no guidance. You see the breakdown of the families. A lot of these teachers are really apathetic. I talk about it in my book, The Diary of Lee Anderson. Um and, and, and there's, there's just a, a lack of, 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 true guidance, and a lot of us turn to the streets. A lot of us, um just, just acting act in, in aggressive ways towards each other, and just towards the people of, of our community. And I, and like, I feel like what you're saying is, 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 is totally true, and it really supports everything I've been trying to say my whole life with. Really. It's not just our fault.
1: It's not your fault at all. It is not your fault. Let me, as, as someone who is older, um, from a different generation, it is not your fault, period. Okay. Now, I, I actually wrote the other day about, well, we appreciate what Dr. King and the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who risked their lives out there in the streets to put pro, uh, uh, pressure on the government. I even appreciate all those that were burning cities now. Cause that was another form of a pre- of pressure, and I, and even Martin Luther King said that riots are the language of the oppressed. Okay, I appreciate all the Robert F. Williams and military veterans that were starting rifle clubs and shooting back at these white terrorists. See, that's not being shown. You're not going to learn about those things by going to watch this one movie, Selma. Although I will get, I'm not coming down hard on the director uh, and the person who made this film, because I know how Hollywood works. They're not going to let you get outside of the approved narrative. And all they want us to to think about is just nonviolent marching. That's all they they, they, that That's the way it's done. And, and so I know how Hollywood uh, uh, controls the propaganda. So I'm not directing this as an attack against the filmmaker because, and I think it was a female, Uh, Regardless of their gender, whoever made the film gave you a glimpse of that, gave you just a glimpse. It was just one scene, maybe not even a whole minute in the entire movie, but they tried to just show you a little bit about what else occurred that made this racist, this vile racist President Lyndon Baines Johnson sit down at the table with Martin Luther King. And they showed the scene where Malcolm X had went to Selma and told Coretta Scott King, I did not come down here to be an antagonist towards your husband, Martin Luther King. I came down here to show these white people that if you don't listen to Dr. King, that I'm the alternative. By any means necessary and and so you know again, they don't really want y'all to know the entire history of everything that we're into being able to get that. but my whole point was is that one of the important pieces of legislation that they got passed was the Voting Rights Act, which has been gutted mind you, it has been gutted, and so when I hear people saying that you know criticizing the young people of today and blaming them for the problems like they're supposed to solve the problem you know uh, by themselves, selves and nobody's prepared them and i say well martin luther king and all those other people got got us the right to vote we have black elected leaders including one representative john lewis who is in this movie selma and what did all that voting get us? But black leaders who went along and voted with a white supremacist agenda, whether that's the drug war, whether that's to militarize the police. So, again, don't be pointing your fingers at these young people out here. All right. Because we. And I'm throwing myself in there, even though there has never been a black elected representative in my district because I live in a district, a county that's 80% white. But those of you who have elected black people, uh what have they done to alleviate any of those problems? Again, police violence and murder is not nothing new. It's been going on since the first slave patrols in the 1600s. So, Again, you know, I, I just have to stand up for you young people when I see people of my generation and older trying to uh hurl all of this unfair criticism at you. So I know I said a lot. Uh did you have any other thoughts?
2: Um I know that the creator the director of the movie, her name is Avery DuVernay. Mm -hmm. Um and I and I really want and I feel bad I haven't seen the summer movie I I really want want to go see it but what but what you um said was totally true um and and I I have no objection to it and I want to say thank you for being one one of one of the folks to actually understand what like like what we're coming from as as far as like not even blaming us I want to say thank you for that
1: oh you you're you're welcome I mean thanks is not necessary but you know um I shouldn't be thanked for speaking truth. And that's the truth as the way I see it, but you know, you're welcome all the same. Um so, as we get ready to wrap up this segment, um did you have any closing thoughts and can you tell people how they can keep up, you know, with your writing, where they can get your book, how can they follow
0: you?
2: Um well, once again I want to thank you brother Scott, for having me um to come on the air. This is my first official audio interview. I want to thank you for for, for helping me bring in this to Cases, um, you can get my debut novel, The Diary of Aaliyah Anderson on Amazon.com. It's in Kindle and also you can get it in paperback if you still read, you know, paperback copies. I also have a Kindle eSport called Riverview High Circumstances that, that deals more with, with the mentality of millennial teenagers and, and, and family circumstances as far as economics, how, how um, economic circumstances can be, and become a burden on, on families and how this one family, the Henderson family, got over it. Um, and also you can read my, my um, articles. I, I write for a literary blog called Straight No Chaser. There you can read my um, my um, publishing industry-based articles. I, um, I write for the Urban Intellectuals website, or the new website, Urban Intellectuals, where you can read is being pro-black, a fad, or a long-awaited awakening among celebrities. And I also um, have some relationship-based articles on this web on this website called "Quoting Her." So please check me out. Um, find me on Facebook, Randall Barnes, and on Twitter at Randall Barnes. And I hope to hear from you guys soon.
1: All right, um, keep up the good work, young man. And know that there are uh, those of my generation and older that do support you all, and we are not uh, pointing the fingers at you and blaming you for what the system is doing to you. You know, we all bear responsibility, especially those who came before you. So you just keep your head up and stay positive and keep trying to be the, uh, great influence on your generation that I know of that you are headed in being. All right. So you take care and we'll talk again. Thank you. All right. That was, um, our interview with, uh, the young author, Uh, Mr. Randall Barnes. I have also linked to his Facebook page and I linked to the article is being pro black, a fad or long awaited awakening among celebrities. I kind of lost my train of thought. I tend to do that sometimes. I just have so many thoughts that be racing through my mind, but I wanted to uh, also point out, you know, that Outside of the rap industry, we have have had some of these celebrities speak up like the St. Louis Rams players who exercise their freedom of speech to wear T-shirts and come out the tunnel with their hands up in the air, identifying with these young protesters. And you see what the police union response up there in Ohio was, you know, to denigrate those young men and to tell them uh they just need to focus on playing football and all of that. And we also seen, you know, a couple of NBA uh, uh, players don those shirts as well. And and so, you know, I just want to acknowledge the courage that it took for them to do that, because I'm sure they knew they knew how the system and, and the races in this society was going to, uh, try to bring pressure on them and, ch- and, and try to, you know, uh, go to their employers and say, keep these niggas in check. What, what kind of plantation is you running over here, St. Louis Rams, that these niggas feel like they can just come out and say stuff, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that is going on. Um, these athletes, these celebrities, when they do speak out. We do need to support them as long as they are are speaking out on the issue of justice and they're correct in their language. We should support them no matter what their past is, no matter what they may even be engaged in now, because we all reach a point of clarity in our lives. And so like, you know, Malcolm X said, you know, don't be down in people. Don't be demeaning people and just because they may not be where you are. Because I'll tell you what, you know, it's a whole lot of people my age and older that still don't get it. You know what I'm saying? They're still engaged in a lot of foolishness and acts of proxy racism against our people. So, you know, uh let's just keep that in mind. Now, when I come back, I want to talk about this act of pre- uh, proxy racism, uh, another killer cop. Has been set free, um, non-stop. It's just non-stop, ain't it, people? Non-stop. You know, so, uh, yeah. Michael Moore also clarifies his sniper tweets. I don't know if I really want to get into that. Um, yeah, I'll skip that one and you can link to it. I'll just say that I agree with what Michael Moore had to say, you know, about not celebrating this racist monster, uh, Chris Kyle uh who who said he enjoyed killing people and that his killing was blazed, blessed by God and all of these people out here supporting this and this movie is, is a a propaganda film that was probably ghost written by the uh Pentagon or the Department of Defense so of course you weren't not going to get an accurate portrayal of this racist monster uh Chris Kyle so Michael Moore I said what he said and then all of the brainwashed you know racist suspects out there went after him and he kinda in a way backtracked but he didn't backtrack. You know, he talked about how his uncle was killed by a sniper in World War Two. And then Self Rogan, um, and I hate to be talking about this propagandist, but he kinda um did make a correct statement. Um if y'all missed my interview with Dr. Robin Anderson on, uh, we talked about in part that movie, the interview that Self rog- Rogan was a part of, and the CIA actually making Self Rogan in them or giving them the idea to use a real, uh, um, head of a state, living head of a state, uh, as the target of the so called CIA plot. Make sure you, you check that out. But he kind of had Michael Moore's back on this one, and he was like, he said that. American sniper reminded him of the scene in, in Glorious Bastards, the Quentin Tarantino film that where it was, they were making a film or showing a film of this German sniper who was hiding out in the bell tower and just gunning down pe- unsuspecting people. And, and so Seth Rogen agreed that, you know, it ain't nothing glorious, ain't nothing hard about being a sniper anybody can get you know yeah you gotta get your skills up your marksmanship skills up but come on let's not act like you know these people was out in the trenches fighting to you know the in hand-to-hand combat these are people who hide okay and uh kill unsuspecting people And, and then but i mean on top of all of that this guy the real chris kyle was a racist who may have been lying but claim that he shot quote unquote looters during Hurricane Katrina and whatnot. This man was a racist monster people. All right. And then the Supreme Court unanimously upheld a prisoner's religious liberty. And I think that's important in the context of modern slavery. Um, and I will share, uh, my thoughts on that with you as well. Right now we're going to take a short music break. Um, and then when we come back, I'll share those last two stories. You're listening to Black Talk Radio, the live drive at five. I'll also uh, check the phone lines to see uh, if anybody has any questions. I'll tell you what, I'll take your call before we take this break. Uh, area code 216. Uh, thank you for calling in. Share uh, your name with us if you choose to um, and your question or comment. Yes. Um, hi, this is uh, great
2: knowledge.
1: So oh, if you could speak up just a little bit, you're coming in kind of low. Oh. Let me see if I can go up on your volume a little. Go ahead, sir. All right. Yes. Hi. How are you doing? This is uh, great knowledge. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Hey, how you doing? Great knowledge. I'm doing, doing fine. How about you? I'm doing okay. Good to hear from you yeah. again. What's your thoughts on what we've been talking about?
2: Well, I, I want to make a, an observation uh, about... Uh, about what you were just saying earlier about uh, you know the the older generation uh, exercising proxy uh, racism, because um, I I've been on Twitter and got numerous uh, uh, debates about you know the movement that's going on uh, current day you know movement that's going on uh, with Black Lives Matter movement. Um, a lot of them have stated that. Um, when we are out there on the streets protesting, that we are doing this for attention, uh, and and it said that you know for us to do this, this is all strictly about the attention, you know, of us personally, rather than
1: the situation. And when I want to know, what do you? How, how do you feel about that? I mean, that's just an ignorant comment. In my opinion, as who wants that kind of, uh, attention if they really know what they're getting themselves into, um, you are putting right. a target on your back whenever you speak to the mainstream media, you're helping the government to identify, um, uh, you as a leader or as a potential threat to the system. And I've actually heard about some people, uh, I think it was Tef Poe. Is one of the, uh, young rappers that have been down there in Ferguson about police pulling him over and putting a gun to his head and been following uh-huh. him and stalking him. So yeah, anybody that says that, you know, they are just engaging in unfair or, uh, illegitimate criticism of, of people who are in the streets doing.
2: Right. I, I, I can agree with that. Because uh, what they fail to realize, with a lot of the older generation, um, a lot of them, I hear a lot of discouraging comments, and I, I, I myself has been have been threatened myself uh, by an officer who doesn't even know that I protest. Just in general, um, as many of us have been, and all this, all this really does is just seal the flames. It makes you know makes us want to do this more more often it gives us a reason a valid reason for us to do what we're doing Because, and, and yes we do consider all the risks involved into, into doing such, such things um, and, and with that said it's just um, you know it was good to see from yesterday I don't know if you pay attention to um, the many demonstrations that happened yesterday as yes, we're I trying saw. to reclaim
3: mm-hmm.
2: yes, as we're trying to reclaim the original messages of what Martin Luther King was, was, was all about Martin Luther King did actually um, block traffic as many as the older generation said, why are they blocking traffic right I'm pretty sure that if, if 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 a lot of these these older you know a lot of people that have been to public schools or whatever and, and and got their education, if they knew that you know Martin Luther King blocked traffic, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't they wouldn't question why these younger individuals are out here doing the same thing
1: and blocking traffic you know, is an attack on the economic system, you know there has been an economic component i mean right now a uh, st paul or or i'll just say minnesota cuz i can't remember the city exactly but there's a prosecutor trying to identify the so-called leaders who put who organized the uh um uh, I wouldn't call it a die in but uh occupation of the mall of America and all those stores wow. shut down and closed their doors and and so yeah, that was an economic you know boycott right there you forced a uh, economic boycott and I've talked about this in the in the past great knowledge I've talked about passive boycotts or Voluntary economic boycotts where you ask people don't go Christmas shopping. We're trying to get pressure on the system to pass a federal law against racial profiling to make racial profiling a hate crime. So please don't go out there spending all this money during the Christmas shopping season. And and so you're asking people, but when you block the entrance to the mall and people can't get into the mall or get stuck in traffic and get discouraged, well that's forcing a economic boycott. And and so, so man, (sighs) Go ahead, go right.
2: ahead, great now. When it comes to blocking the traffic, it makes people not not want to drive. You know what I'm saying? And the only reason the only reason people would drive in a situation like this is just if they're going to some from work or wherever else they have to go. You know, it's just it's just making it. You know, because the whole point of this is making it no business as usual. Right. You know, and, and with that said, that means no business as usual. That means that means. I mean, if you, you go into the stores to leisurely buy stuff and, and, and maybe you would not have thought about the lives of black, you know, unarmed individuals, maybe you might reconsider, you know, that, that thought, you just, oh, well, who cares, let me just carry on with my life. There's no carrying on with your life anymore. That, 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 is, that is no more. It's a nationwide uh, movement and it's growing, you know, every day you know and 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 that's where a lot of people understand what really kills me with this is that a lot of these, a lot of people today and that includes people of all generations today um those that are silent and those that are vocal about this uh they're not going to really understand the overall impact of this until until the day um when, it, when this movement is over and, it's, and it reaches the textbooks and into the american history you know and that's why I, I i always try to tell people if you have not done nothing now if you're not spoken out now then we waiting on that i i guarantee that many people that, that are silent and not doing nothing first off they're consenting; they're extending to this and second of all you know those that that might have thought about it but yet not have acted upon it they're going to feel sorry when when uh they're going to feel sorry if they weren't part of moving because i i I tell people time and time again, when your children, your grandchildren, ask you, what were you doing on 12, 13, 14, you know, and, and, and you were uh, doing whatever you're doing, uh, you know, who's to blame about well, yourself?
1: You know? Right. And, and like, children, um, like, like, like this other person said, he said those people, and he was talking about my post when I said, who is this this black asshole on TV talking bad about the protesters and talking about you know they're not sophisticated and all this and that and and he said you know most of these talking heads that's out on on TV talking all this smack and and, and demeaning the people who are out there in the streets. During Dr. King's time, they weren't out there doing anything, okay? And if they from my wow. generation, you know, uh, uh, my generation is known for uh, revolution in hip-hop of conscious hip-hop like public enemy and things of that nature right, right. or an expansion of getting back to you know our african roots and 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 raising black consciousness that's what my generation is known for more in the artistic world of, of ideals uh expressing them through art and but you know um again you know these people that's heaping this criticism They ain't out there in the streets. They weren't out there in the streets when Dr. King was out there and they weren't even out there, you know, in all of the other different rebellions that have occurred throughout history. They just run in their mouth. And of course, the system wants to undermine the protests. And so these people, if they are non-white, they are acting as proxy racist tools of the system to undermine to illegitimize the protesters you know even during Ferguson we heard some people say you know that uh if 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 you're out here protesting at night then you're not legitimate protesters we don't care what happens to you and this and that all right that is to discourage the young people that is to divide the movement that is to undermine the movement and and so don't listen to them
2: now, now there, there there are two things, two bits of news I'd like to offer to you that you may or may not know about. Uh, speaking on proxy racism, now as of uh, yesterday, they had—I um, forgot the name of the um, university that's in Missouri—but um, they are students from HSSU. I don't know the name of the school. I just know that uh, the letters. Um, these are college students. Uh, I'm guessing it's a historical black college. I'm guessing. Um, they were at the the, the uh, Reclaim Martin Luther King March and uh, large groups of them were stating that uh, the people themselves need to focus on getting degrees instead of focusing on protesting and uh you know, and, and speaking out well, against oppression.
1: There might that's be, that's what they were. They um, might be part of this Teach for America insurgency or counter, uh, counter movement group. Uh, that's the system. I've heard, uh, Black Agenda Report published some articles about Teach for America. And, and so again, you know, again, that's promoting capitalism focus on getting a degree so that you can get money so that then you can buy a house so you can buy a car and feed the capitalist system that's what that is instead of, of right. focusing on how's getting a degree going to stop you from getting shot by some racist pig out here in the street
2: now now also with that the crazy part with that is that the um the students the, the police
1: Wait, Hold hold up, hold up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but did you see, I don't know if you saw the video. Some of the listeners may have seen the video, but there was a video I shared last year that was shared with me and it showed a car full of black people being pulled over by the police and and, you know it, it was predominantly white cops. I think it was a black cop in there with them and so when they pull these people over um allegedly you know their car matched the description of a stolen car and so they start pulling these people out including the children pointing their guns and and one of the black people said this black woman said but we got degrees we we not like them i'm like oh my god no she didn't no she didn't but we got degrees we educated. I'm paraphrasing what she said, right, but she did right, say,
2: "Right, right." I heard about this. Now let me tell you what happened during that time period. Now, what happened sometime after that? They, they were getting they were getting into verbal arguments with the uh, the uh, the Ferguson protesters, mm-hmm. and then uh some after that, the police came out, and what they did is they they all they encircled around the HSSU students, and then after after this happened, um, they were so called quote unquote protecting the students quote unquote by surfing around them
1: protecting so, the so students in, from who
2: and in, in, in the end and the end what happened was it just turned into uh almost like 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 a counter clash
1: that, you know, that's the, what that the, was the, by the purpose police. that was on right, purpose and of course,
2: you know the,
3: the, mm-hmm. sorry,
1: was that? that was on purpose that's an old system tactic you know, to come up—that's a counter-revolutionary tactic. But yeah, go ahead, continue.
3: Right, and as you said, this is uh, this is you
2: know, as they as they say, and as we continually say, when we protest, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. They're trying to create division mm-hmm. to break up the movement.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow! Because
2: there were a lot of people throughout the entire weekend, and in, in, uh, uh, well, throughout the nation, there were thousands of people. But even specifically in Ferguson there there were uh during an entire weekend there were uh, a lot of people uh different races coming together uh for from the reclaimed martin Luther king uh, uh, uh weekend mm-hmm.
1: so some people, uh, some man. of the same tactics that we saw during the Black liberation period, during the civil rights movement. Same tactics coming out the same playbook. And and so, you know, that's why it's important that we do study history and not just go to movies to get our history or think we're right. going to learn how to run a movement from a two hour movie. You know, again, I'm not slamming a director or anything like that. She tried to show some of the you know with the uh, with malcolm's being portrayed she tried to show but again with only uh, with uh, uh white supremacists dominating and controlling hollywood you know in any kind of radical what might be considered radical or militant or even truthful films that try to show the broader context of that time period they are not going to get made they are not going to get distributed. If they are made, as we saw with the documentary, uh, Mumia, Long Distance Revolutionary. But, but listen, great right. knowledge. I gotta but move now, on, now, man. Now. I gotta move on. So, can, can oh, okay. you share before, some final before, comments? Before,
2: we, before I move on, can I give you some breaking news? Sure. Well, uh, on the same day, there was, uh, a shooting. On the same day, it occurred, uh, a little bit, a little bit further in the evening. Um, some shots were fired from a hill that, that's right near the memorial. I, I guess they were there. Uh, people were having a candlelight vigil at the Mike Brown memorial, and there were shots fired from from a hill nearby. And uh, one person, uh, actually, they shot at the uh, what is referred to as the Mike Brown memorial. And then, uh, uh, inside, there were two children inside, and there were two adults. And one of the adults was standing near, nearby in, in the car and was and was grazed by a bullet.
1: When did this occur?
2: Uh, this occurred, um, I would say, like around, I would say maybe around maybe eight, 8 or 9 p.m. as of yesterday.
1: Yesterday? See, I had not even heard yeah. that. So thanks for the news tip. Uh, I will look into it.
2: Right. And she is, uh, the one, the, the person that was grazed, her name is... Uh, Michi and she is uh, currently in the hospital. Uh, she's doing okay. She just was, was slightly grazed by by the bullet.
1: Uh, All right. Well, I'll I'll look into right that, man. Thanks okay. for calling. Okay. All right. So uh, yeah, let me take a short break. Uh, about to wrap up the program here. I do want to share those two news stories with you. Um, I do need to take a break. Um, we'll be right back on the other side. You're listening to the Black Talk Radio live drive at five broadcasting every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday at five o'clock PM Eastern. You might say, well, what about Wednesday? Well, Wednesday, I participate in the production and co-hosting of New Abolitionist Radio, New Abolitionist Radio, myself, Max Parthis, Johanna and Elia. We consider ourselves new abolitionists and we try to expose the fact that slavery was never abolished in this country and the reason that you have what you call a mass incarceration is really prison slavery as prescribed by the 13th Amendment. We'll be right back. This
0: is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, New Media
3: This is Monroe, North Carolina.
2: The town where local NAACP president, Robert Williams, created headlines when he said, Sometimes, violence must be
3: met with violence. Many asked why. You know, we do whatever we do to survive. Right? Drop it! Some of the people who had thought that it would be better to settle these cases violently, uh, I had been able to persuade them that we should use the courts and go into the courts. So this thing had, uh, had boomeranged. And uh, I was being uh, held responsible for having brought these cases to court. There were trials where a Negro maid had been kicked down a flight of stairs uh, by a white man, and that uh, this man hadn't even bothered to come to his own trial, and that he had uh, he had also uh, been uh, acquitted. And uh, there was a demonstration as a result of this in uh, the courtroom by the legal women of the community. And uh, they had approached me and uh, had said, well, you said that you would see that these people would be punished because uh, through the organization, we would have confidence. Comfort- Counsel, and uh, that if it hadn't been for you that these people would have been punished and uh, they wanted to know what I would recommend that they do from then on. And so I recommended that, that they use violence with violence, that uh, Negroes must be prepared to repulse attacks, that they must be willing to fight, that they must be willing to die and to kill if necessary, that uh, there was no law and no 14th Amendment uh, to the United States Constitutional of for protection in the South, and that therefore they didn't have any deterrent so they
1: would have to create the the deterrent force themselves by leaking violence with violence. Welcome back to Black Talk Radio. This is the Live Drive at Five. Of course, my name is Scotty Reed. I'm in for this broadcast from Behind These Enemy Lines. I want to share this uh, clip with you uh, briefly. It's not even long. It's only like 17 seconds. I think something was wrong with the way the clip was uploaded, but it cut off. But it gives you enough information, so I'm going to go ahead and share that. Good evening, I'm Vicki Dorn,
0: And I'm Rick Van who's A former Louisville police officer accused of shooting a man while he's off the clock and under the influence will avoid jail time.
1: Earlier tonight, after about three hours of deliberations, a jury acquitted Chauncey Carthen on a charge of wanton endangerment, but found him guilty on the lesser charge. And that's where it cut off. So I, I have no explanation for that. But uh he was forced to resign. And he's a black person. He's a black person working as a proxy racist tool of the system. And he killed, he shot this man. Now, I don't know who he shot. That may play some role into it. He might have shot another black person. So they was like, oh, you didn't do nothing but shoot an animal. We're not going to convict you and send you to prison for that. Of course not. Um uh, But he was found guilty on uh, something to do with uh, a lesser charge of DUI he wasn't even convicted on a serious DUI charge which would have resulted in prison time um but yeah they pretty much just uh let him get away with paying a 500 dollar fine and again I talked about this on Facebook uh over the over the past couple of days in relation to people convicting me of of editing the words of this white man who I you know took his words and tore his argument apart his supposed argument meaning he's not sure if people have a right to call other people racial slurs or religious slurs in the street and so he took offense with me you know deconstructing his his supposed uh rights or the supposed rights of others and and so people were just retweeting that and and stuff like that co-signing on to a slander and whatnot and i was like see y'all done convicted me on nothing but a white man's word and 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 so you know whenever that is why this hate speech in media is so dangerous where they're demonizing black youth demonizing black people in general is because you know uh, whenever you do harm to a black person and it does eventually, you know, go before a jury, uh, most of them going to have that propaganda programming, you know, taking over their minds and they're going to let these people go because in their minds, black lives don't matter. Uh, blue lives do. And if you are a black person wearing blue, then yeah, we will afford to you the protections of the system. So yeah, that, that I thought that was a interesting story in terms of proxy racism. Um, now I want to share with you the Supreme Court has unanimously upheld prisoners religious liberties. And I'll just read a paragraph. I have linked to, uh, the press release, which actually links to the actual, uh, case file, uh, which I shared in my article. Again, you know, do your research. Um, If you're going to back up what you're saying, you need to link to uh, what you're saying uh, so that people can uh, go read for themselves and draw their own conclusions. But the Justice Fellowship applauds today's unanimous Supreme Court decision in Holt versus Hobbs, which upheld the right of a Muslim prisoner to grow a half inch beard in accordance with his religious beliefs. This is a clear endorsement and victory for the religious land use and institutionalized persons act, which sets a high standard for protecting religious liberty. And so, you know, again, think of it in terms of, of slavery. Again, I don't like to talk about slavery in past tense. when people talk about it in past tense, I try to correct them in a constructive manner, but, Think about the stories that we have heard about when Africans were first brought over here. They were stripped of their culture. They were stripped of their language. They were stripped of their religions, okay? That is that is how you make a subservient, docile, passive slave, okay? Is you strip him of, of his culture and, and his religion And everything. And that's that's what the system of slavery is all about. And that is what they do to people when they end up on these prison plantations. And so I want people to think about the treatment of prisoners, particularly in this in the context of this case, which upheld the religious rights of this Muslim. And, And so think of it in context of history, historic enslavement of people. They, they don't want you to, to hold on to your culture. They don't want you to hold on to your religious or spiritual beliefs. They just want to make you into a slave. All right. Because your, your religion, your spirituality may inspire you to, to resist. Your culture may inspire you to resist. And so, you know, again, that's why we keep getting the same old, same old, tired old movie script about the civil rights movement. You know, just a bunch of passive black people walking down the street and I'm not slamming those people because in the context of what in the wider movement, that was a deliberate tactic to show the uh, animalistic barbaric behavior of racist white supremacists so i know why it was done it it, it wasn't done because that's the only way to protest it it was a deliberate tactic one embraced by martin luther king jr all right And, and and so yeah i thought i wanted to share that with you in terms of how it relates to modern day 13th amendment legalized slavery all right so that's my program for tonight um i will be back on air with my comrades my abolitionist comrades max and johanna uh tomorrow at eight o'clock p.m eastern time a uh, new abolitionist radio right here on black talk radio network peace and blessings to all uh, again Y'all stay safe out there and conduct yourself as if you are behind enemy lines. Because if you look at the evidence, it would suggest uh, that you live in a war zone. Peace and blessings.
0: The U.S. has the fastest growing prison population in the world. Well, it's like the real estate boom. (laughs) Except, of course, the problem with real estate eventually run out of land (laughs) you'd never
2: run out of people to put in prison system of America, the U.S. military, said, the FBI, CIA, ATF, ICE, Homeland Security, and the neighborhood police. They sold me from Mexico in 1848, abducted Africans and then sold them to smade. Genocide against the natives, and for so that we give thanks. Wrote their history books and made themselves great. There's two types of crime, power and survival.
3: Crimes that deal with power but the ones you might not find, dude. Look at the trillions that were stolen from the
2: wall street
3: bailout and still stuck in a jail they sick they killed little with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly
1: beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom
3: sorry
2: sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time
0: no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.